0: Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This episode is going to be for Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in, so all their gates are closed. The inhabitants of Jericho knew full well of the powerful destruction that Israel had directed against the kingdom of the Amorites east of Jordan. Therefore, it is no surprise that they shut up their walled city against Israel. That was out of the Old Testament manual. At first sight, it may seem strange that when such fear had fallen upon the people of the land, any attempt should have been made to defend Jericho. But a fuller consideration will help us not only to understand this, but also by and by to see special reasons why this one fortress should have been miraculously given to Israel. Not to mention motives of honor, which would at least have some influence with the men of Jericho. It was one of the main principles of, of heathenism that each of their gods, many, was limited in his activity to one special object. But what the Canaanites had heard of Jehovah showed him to be the god of nature who clave the Red Sea and arrested the waters of Jordan, and that he was so far also the god of battles as to give Israel the victory over the Amorite kings." But was, he, was his strength also the same as against their gods in reducing strong fortresses? Of that, at any rate, they had no experience. Trivial as such a question may sound in our ears, we have evidence that it was seriously entertained by heathendom. To mention only one instance, we know that a similar suggestion was made at a much later period, not by obscure men, but by the servants of, and trusted advisers of Ben-Hadad, and that it was acted upon by By that monarch in the belief that Jehovah is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. At any rate, it was worth the trial, and Jericho, as already stated, was the strongest fortress in Canaan and the key to the whole country. And that was by Edersheim. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, or go around, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once Thus thou shalt do six days, and seven priests shall bear before thee the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on, compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, passed on before the Lord, and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the the rearward, or those bringing up the rear, came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, "Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the covenant. So that was day one. And seven priests bearing... Seven trumpets of rams' horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rearward came upon the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they encompassed, or they compassed, the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. Now day seven, and it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early upon about the dawning of the day and encompassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh, at the seventh time, when the priests blew the, blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with, it, with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And they must have said, and hers is the one that has the... Uh, the red thread upon it, or the scarlet thread upon the window. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, in other words, those things under a ban for the people to take or dedicated for a sacrifice to the Lord, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord." So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So what causes the walls to come down? By patterning the conquest of Jericho in sevens, the Lord taught Israel that their success lay in the covenant with Jehovah, his perfect power brought conquests not their own. <clears throat> From limited archaeological evacuations, or, uh, sorry, or excavations of Jericho, it appears that its walls were not as large or as strong when the Israelites attacked as in other times of its history. The small fortified mound of about seven acres was surrounded by two parallel walls 15 feet apart, each 30 feet high and 6 feet thick. These walls were made of sun-dried brick without binding straw and with dried mud filling gaps in the the construction. The wall foundations were the remnants of earlier partially destroyed walls. However, in spite of these deficiencies, the walls provided an imposing barrier to the ill-equipped Israelites who had no battering rams, catapults, or other machinery. Two possible answers explain how the walls fell under the hand of the Lord on the seventh day as the Israelites completed their seventh, their seventh march around the mound. First, their own marching and the vibrations or resonance it created could have weakened the walls, much like the pitch and the resonance of a soprano's voice can shatter a, a goblet. This phenomenon still exists, and modern soldiers in large numbers will cross bridges and other unstable structures in broken cadence, that is, by not marching in step or in unison with each other. Second, Jericho sits on one of the most active earthquake fault lines in the world. The Jordan Fault stretches from Mount Hermon in the north to Ethiopia in eastern Africa. Archaeology and history both record other occasions when earthquakes have destroyed Jericho's walls. That was by Victor Ludlow. Men have argued this question for ages. Did the marching feet, the blaring trumpets, and the final shout weaken the walls in some way so that they tumbled in accordance with natural law? Or was some other principle in operation? Did the Lord simply, at a convenient point in time, level the walls by his power? Elder Talmadge discussed this, this question in these words. May we not believe that when Israel encamp- encompassed Jericho, the captain of the Lord's host and his heavenly train were there and that before their supermortal agencies, sustained by the faith and obedience of the human army, the walls were leveled. Some of the latest and highest achievements of man in the utilization of natural forces approached the conditions of spiritual operations, to count the ticking of a watch thousands of miles away, to speak in but an ordinary tone and be heard across the continent, to single to signal from one hemisphere and be understood on the other through ocean though oceans roll and roar between, to bring the lightning into our homes, and make it serve as fire and, and torch, to navigate the air and to travel beneath the ocean ocean surface, to make chemical and atomic energies obey our will. Are not these miracles? The possibility of such would not have been received with with credence before their actual accomplishment. Nevertheless, these and all other miracles are accomplished through the operation of the laws of nature, which are the laws of God. That was uh, Talmadge in the Articles of Faith, but it was faith that uh, caused these to tumble. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword." It lies on the surface of the scriptural narrative that a notable miracle, unparalleled in history, had in this case been wrought by Jehovah for Israel. As a German writer puts it, it would have been impossible to show it more clearly that Jehovah had given the city to Israel. First, the river was made to recede to allow them entrance into the land, and now the walls of the city were made to fall to give them admission to its first and strongest city. Now such proofs of the Presence and help of Jehovah so soon after Moses' death must have convinced the most carnal among Israel that the same God who had cleft the Red Sea before their fathers was still on their side. And in this light must the event also have been viewed by the people of Canaan. But besides a deeper symbolical meaning attached to all that had happened, the first and strongest fortress in the land, Jehovah, God bestowed upon his people, so to speak, as a free gift without their having to make any effort or to run any risk in taking it. A precious pledge. this on the ease with which all his gracious promises were to be fulfilled. Similarly, the manner in which Israel obtained possession of Jericho was deeply significant. Evidently, the walls of Jericho fell not before Israel, but before the Ark of Jehovah, Or rather, as it is expressly said in Joshua, before Jehovah himself, whose presence among his people was connected with the Ark of the Covenant, and the blast of those jubilee horns all around the doomed city made proclamation of Jehovah, and was, so to speak, the summons of his kingdom, proclaiming that the the labor and sorrow of his people were at an end, and they were about to enter upon their inheritance. Wouldn't you think that when this is happening that all the people that live in these lands would just leave? Kind of like when the Nephites and the Lamanites, those that are getting tired of getting uh, defeated all the time, that they finally go into the north country. Wouldn't you think that if you were one of these people in Canaan and you saw this miraculous uh, delivery of the city into their hands that you'd just leave instead of fighting them? That's what I would do anyway. This was the symbolical and typical import of the blasts of the Jubilee horns whenever they were blown. Hence, also alike in the visions of the prophets and in the New Testament, the final advent of the kingdom of God is heralded by the trumpets, by the trumpet sound of his angelic messengers. But on the other hand, the advent of the kingdom of God always implies destruction to his enemies. Accordingly, the walls of Jericho must fall, and all the city be destroyed. Nor will the reader of this history fail here also to notice the significance of the number seven. Seven horns, seven priests, seven days of of compassing the walls, repeated seven times on the seventh day, the suddenness of the ruin of Jericho, which typified the kingdom of this world in its opposition to that of God, has also its counterpart at the end of the present dispensation. For by the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night, and when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that was by Alfred Edersheim again. Verse 22, But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath as as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had, and they brought her out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. This was not a mere mortal conflict. Canaan was to be destroyed by the very God of Israel. This truth was impressively taught to Israel by the presence of the ark. And Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot, or the innkeeper as I like to call her, and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel, even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jer- Jericho. And Joshua adjured, or charged as by an oath, them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. James E. Talmay said, may we not believe that when Israel encompassed Jericho, the captain of the Lord's host and his heavenly trains were there and that before their super agency sustained by the faith and obedience of the human army, the walls were leveled. And so that's how it happened. All right, that's the end of chapter six. We'll see you next time. Bye.